Um, thank you. I don't know how much more sincere I can be from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for praying for me. Um, I felt it. And uh, I hope I didn't stress you out too much. Um, I know a lot of people were. I keep hearing, I was up all night praying for you, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> um, the Lord is good. 22 days is really not that long. It just seems like a long time when you're inside a prison. Um, but we're talking about Persecution Sunday and our brothers and sisters around the world. And I think it'd be a good thing to think about, not just from a cultural view, how we look at persecution, but how God in heaven looks at persecution. Because it's a little bit different. Um, there is some persecution happening now in America. Um, this is my, almost my 40th year as a Christian. And from the early years, I remember when it was a little different in the United States. And I recognize now that it's difficult for some of you. I know my folks and missionaries and friends overseas that are being persecuted and it's very direct and very painful and sometimes deathly but they're picking away at you in America too be careful it's tough uh, you don't get the same sensitivity as being a Christian as you used to the same respect for your beliefs sometimes people can lose a job because of their faith kids can get lower grades at school and university because of their faith there's a lot of things that are starting to happen legislatively and politically in this country that are not as respectful of our Christian beliefs. So that's a form of persecution. Um, in the Philippines, sometimes it's much more direct. Uh, you see it happening around the world. Boko Haram killing people in a mall. Uh, if you're not a Christian, they would kill you. If you weren't a Muslim, they would kill you. Um, in ISIS right now in Iraq and Syria are killing Christians, as many of them they can find. People are running and trying to find help. Some are sacrificing their life, staying to share the gospel, comfort others. Egypt, some of my friends have lost their life. They've lost their churches, been burned down. Nigeria, and around the world, there's different places, a lot of persecution. So I love it that we have a Sunday that we can pray for those people. I want you to pray for them, but I don't want you to feel too much pity for them, Okay. Pray for them for their courage. Pray for them that God gives them the blessing that he has waiting for them. For the ones he takes to heaven. And the ones that stay that they win many to Christ. Um, I remember my first years in the mission field and as a Christian. How shocking it was to me when I actually saw people killed or myself threatened. Just because of your love for Christ. It was a shocking thing to me. Because we don't have that here in America. Especially at that stage. Um, one of my first realizations was. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Bill Hyde, was at the airport in Davao, in a place where I minister a lot to. And in Davao, he was under a shelter with about 100 other Filipinos and people waiting for a plane to come in. It was raining, so they were finding shelter. And they were all crowded under this tent. And the plane came in. They were going to wait for the passengers to get their luggage and then come out. And one of the MNLF or one of the Muslim terrorists that you're familiar with, Al-Qaeda or whatever you want to call them, it's kind of the same when it comes to terrorism. Um, they pushed the bomb up and they put it right by Bill because they recognized him as an American, uh, American missionary. And the bomb went off and um, it killed Bill and many, many other people. Um, and I remember how painful that was for his wife um, who prayed with him before he actually passed um, but the direct pain of persecution for a fine believer, a guy who loved the Lord and served people so much um, Martin and Gracia Burnham he used to fly me around the Philippines in his plane 
And some of you know their story. There's a book written about it. But Martin and Gracia were kidnapped by the Muslims down in Mindanao. They held them for a year. And then there was an ambush and there was a fight. And Martin was shot and killed. But he was able to protect Gracia with his body so that she only got shot in the leg. And she survived and is living and serving the Lord today in America and doing well. But Martin went on to be with the Lord and was a great servant of the Lord, flying people like me in and out so we could do ministry in the islands and the different villages and places. Persecution is not always a great thing to talk about, but I want to tell you it happens. And scripture tells us about it. Sometimes in a culture where it's wealthy, like our culture, and, and basically free to exercise our faith, we sometimes don't think of persecution as much. But the Bible talks about it a lot. In Matthew chapter 5, Here's what it's, who is it, Matthew? 5, 10. It would be good if I was in Matthew, not Mark, wouldn't it? <laughs> Excuse me, this is about the sixth time I've talked this weekend. I'm getting kind of... 5, verse 10 of Matthew, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember, it doesn't say the kingdom of earth, it says the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're all looking for eventually. So keep that in mind when you think about persecution. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Not on earth, in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I was in Davao many years ago when I was just a young believer, a young missionary, Reaching out for people with Christ using basketball. I played professional basketball. Then I did um, exhibitions to try to share my faith. And I had an Australian team. I took them to Davao. Same place where Billy had the bomb placed. In his, and it was only far, not far down the street. I was at the stadium there. And it, had, it would hold between five, six to 8,000 maybe at the most people. And before the game I was in the hotel. And there was a letter that came under the door. So I said, oh, and Pastor B, who was with us, he did all the follow-up and when we went along. and He said, oh, Tom, there's a letter for you. So I said, okay, open it up, and it said, dear Tomas, and it was in the language, but I could understand. It was in Tagalog. It said, um, we are glad that you're here to play basketball and do your unicycle exhibition. I have a circus show. I do at halftime, for some of you who don't know, on unicycles, and we use that to entertain people, and then we share Christ with them afterwards. Do you know if you entertain a Filipino... They are the most gracious people, and they will give you the opportunity and listen to you because you've entertained them out of respect, and I love that, so we did that. Anyway, the letter said, but if you at any point share the word of Jesus, we will do this and this and this to you, and they were, you know, cut off your head and cut off this and do this, and, and it was quite graphic, and it was signed MNLF, Muslim National Liberation Front. And I said, oh, no. And over my shoulder was the manager of the Australian team. And he said, Tom, you don't look too happy. What's that about? I said, oh, don't worry about it. I didn't want him to get scared, so I wasn't going to say anything. But Filipinos are so direct and honest that he looked, Pastor B looked at him and says, oh, they're going to cut Tom's head off if he shares the gospel. (laughs) I said, thanks, Pastor B. And he said, wait a minute. We'll just cancel the game. I said, Brad, we can't just cancel the game. There's... There's thousands of people out there that are waiting to see a game and an exhibition, and they've been waiting for it for weeks. Everyone's all excited. Do you think they're going to be happy if we just cancel the game? Now you're going to have more people mad at you. 
He said, well, what are we going to do? I said, I just need four guys. Give me four guys. We'll go play the game at least. And we'll make them happy. And we can get through the situation. Well, four guys came. The others didn't feel comfortable coming. I understand that. But the four guys that came, this is 30-some years ago, are still my dear friends in Australia. They still serve the Lord faithfully, either in the church. Some of them are pastors. Two of them are pastors. Because they had this wonderful commitment. And I could see it then. They said, we'll go with you, Tom. So I had four of them and me. Five of them, we played the whole game. First, we played the whole half. Then at halftime, I did the juggling, you know, and entertained them. And I rode the unicycle, shot some baskets. And then I rode the big one and dunked it. And they were just having, it was great. We had the stadium. I had them in the palm of my hand. (laughs) And then I did the little unicycle. And I always finished by putting a boy on my shoulder and riding him around. And I'm kind of tipping like we're going to fall. And everybody just panics and they love it. And the boy panics and he's grabbing me by the nose and he's sticking fingers in my ear. And sometimes they urinate right down the back of my back, you know. Yeah, it happens. It happens. But that's a missionary life. And I just smile. And the people too, they laugh just like you did. They think it's hilarious. And when you do that, then they listen. And it was a tradition in the Philippines. Everybody knew I was going to share the Lord when I was done with my halftime show. Done over 1,700 of them. So I sat down and I was sitting there and it was quiet and Pastor B was next to me he said Tom, what a pity that means I said Pastor do I know where you're going he said Tom look at them look at they're just waiting for you to share I said Pastor he said come on Tom you can do it I said yeah easy for you to say I'm the one that they're going to cut up into pieces <laughs> and here's what he said I'll never forget you need men like this and I did who encouraged me who trained me and taught me the right attitude about serving the Lord. And he said, Tom, which people did you come to serve as a missionary? And I said, these people. He said, you'll never get a better chance than this. He said, I'll stand up there with you and interpret. I said, I can speak the language myself. He said, no, I'll interpret so we do it together. Let's do this together for the Lord. And he said, you know, getting persecuted, Tom, for your faith is one of the great privileges that we have as Christians. Quit looking at it like we're in big trouble or something. We're doing the right thing. He said, come on, let's try. So he talked me into getting up there, and I got the microphone, and <laughs> that's what I was. I said, I'm, my name is Tom Randall. They all knew me. I played professionally in the Philippines, so I introduced myself, but I said, I'm glad to be here, and I want to tell you how Jesus changed my life. And when the word Jesus came out of my life, mouth, that's when it went crazy. You know, even in the States, as Christians, I know people will try to avoid the word Jesus because it's a powerful word, isn't it? And, and you say it, people get interviewed, athletes get interviewed. As soon as they say Jesus, the guy says, now what else will we, can we talk about? You know what I mean? It's obvious. And when I said Jesus, those guys went crazy. And there were about eight Muslims right there at half court. And I don't know how come the terrorists always get the best seats in the house, you know? <laughs> and they jumped up and they started yelling, we're going to do this to you and we're going to do that to you. And I froze. And I looked around and Pastor B was gone. And, and so I'm standing right, and then I realized he was standing right behind me because he was a small Filipino and I was a big American. He was holding on and you couldn't even see him back there. And we were both just scared to death. And then the most amazing thing happened. There was more yelling and screaming. Except they weren't yelling and screaming at us. Filipinos around the stadium started to get up and they were in Nahiyat's called. They were embarrassed that we were being treated that way. And they pointed, and you never point in the Philippines, that's big trouble. They pointed at those guys and they said, if you don't sit down right now, 
we're going to do every one of those things you just said to you right now. <laughs> and then we stopped, and more people jumped up and started pointing, and these guys, most of them headed out, which made me much more comfortable. <laughs> and Pastor B must have been, because he popped back around the side and said, let's go, Tom. <laughs> and we shared. And we had an incredible response from the people after the game. People came to Christ. People got into Bible studies. People wanted to know, why do you believe this so, um, commit, where was your commitment so strong? Because they saw what happened. And we told them why. And I learned then as a missionary, you cannot put a cost on your faith, earthly-wise. It's an eternal gift we're looking for. It's an eternal reward we're looking for. If you're looking just for what you're going to get living in America, you're going to miss the boat on our Christian commitment and faith. And you might miss the opportunity to pass through persecution and let God use it in your life. Because he ten, eventually, that's what he does. He uses persecution for the kingdom of God. Satan never gets it right. He works and he gets all this trouble, and then in the end, God turns it back on him and he uses it for his own glory. Well, Pastor B, he lasted about three more years. His church grew in that area because of the games and stuff. And then one day, those guys decided to get him. They came right up the aisle of the church, right up the front aisle, and shot him in the pulpit. Yeah, and he went to be with the Lord pretty quickly, left behind a wife and four kids, but he went right into the arms of Jesus. His own words, I don't do this because I'm safe doing it. Sometimes where there's persecution, there are what we would call death, but God would call life for someone like that. Eternal life, what a reward. I wonder what it was like. I wonder what it's like for Pastor B. But here's what he taught me. And we need people to help us and teach us. And I needed them too. Tom, persecution, it isn't as bad as you think it is. If you use it for the right reason, if you are not ashamed, if you stand for your faith, there are many other people that can come to Christ because of you. So don't worry in America when it gets hard. As a famous Egyptian friend of mine who went to death row for his faith and then escaped he said to me one day Tom it's really serving when it's hard I couldn't argue with him the people I've met overseas and worked with have given me a new realization what it means to live the Christian life no matter what our life says let's save our life let's live longer Jesus says give up your life for me there's a lot of opposites isn't there I uh I think some of you know my situation. In fact, let me read the Hebrews real quick for you. If I look disorganized, don't worry. I do this all the time. Here's some of the people who did not live because of persecution. But it says, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but have seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Not this home. This is a temporary home, but an eternal one. And then over in 39 it says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised here, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. They were, they were going for something much, much better. It says in the Bible, if you really chase a godly life, you will be persecuted at some point. Don't be too shocked. But look at it as an opportunity not to be ashamed of the gospel that we've been given in Christ Jesus. 
I, uh, when I got arrested in January, it was a shocker. Now, I've been arrested before, and not for anything that I did bad, by the way, just because I was sharing Christ in other countries, in several different countries, but it was never this bad. You know what made this one worse? Because it was a personal offense. It was somebody that I knew. It was another Christian who betrayed me and started this whole uproar. That can happen to anybody. It happens. But it makes it harder, doesn't it, when it's personal? And so we had to work through that. But when they arrived at my door, the NBI, which is the most powerful, it's like the CIA or FBI, the most powerful agency in the Philippines, they came with lots of men and lots of guns. 5.30 in the morning, knocked on our bedroom door. Karen and I going, what in the world? It's 5.30 in the morning. I got up and opened the door, and there they were in our living room. And they had the TV cameras on. They wanted to televise all of it. Yeah, it makes it hard, doesn't it? It's so personally offensive and invaded, invasive. invasive. And my wife, you know, nobody ever gets to see her in a robe, and she's in a robe. Maybe you got a wife like that, too. I, don't, I like that about my wife, you know. And she said, what are you doing? I said, what are you guys filming this for? Why are you here? And they said, We're gonna, you're going to have to go in for question. I said, am I under arrest? They said, oh, no, you're not under arrest. Do you know that I was handcuffed, taken down, 22 days in jail, and they still say I was never arrested? That's a bizarre thing, isn't it? It looked like arrest to me, you know? They took my kids and put them all in a bus, all my 31 kids, and they took them down too, and they interrogated them for days. They interrogated me for days. Slept on a linoleum floor for the first about 48 hours. And then I was told by uh, some of our own embassy and homeland security people and by the Filipinos, they're not going to charge you. And I said, then why did they bring me up and bring me in and go through all of this? About, with about 12 hours later, I was charged with child trafficking. It sounds awful even to say it because I'm all for fighting child trafficking. I've been doing it for 39 years. That's why we have adopted kids. That's why we have these orphanages. And boy, it went all over the world because they had on TV. They they had a great story. American pro basketball player, missionary, head of an adoption of of an orphanage. It made great solicitous stuff, you know, salacious stuff. All over the world. Now what are they going to do? You got this big issue. Now they had to find a case on you. So when they actually arrested me, they booked me. They never arrested me, excuse me. When they booked me, when they fingerprinted me, and they took everything from me, and my, my last thing was my phone. I said on my phone, I called Joe Coffey, my brother in Christ in the States who I've known for so many years, pastor of our church there in, in Ohio. I said, Joe, I'm in big trouble. I couldn't even get a hold of Karen and anybody in the Philippines, but I could get a hold of Joe. Cell phones are awesome, aren't they? I said, Joe, I'm in big trouble. He said, now what? I mean, now what? I mean, now what? I said, I'm in, never mind now what, I'm in trouble. He said, really? I said, yes, I'm going in the pit of hell right now. They're going to take my phone. I've been arrested. I'm in the NBI prisoner jail in Manila. Help. Pray for me. Tom, we'll find you. And that was it. They took my phone and I went in. And the first three days, they have no privileges, kind of like solitary confinement. You can't do anything. Very difficult. And they put you in this room. It's about the size of your living room. And... It has uh, 40 men in it, about the size you live in, 40 men, grown men. So when we laid down to sleep, I had my little plywood there against the wall, and I was sleeping. We were wall-to-wall guys, shoulders all around the room. And it was dangerous. It was stinky. The hygiene was really bad. 
You don't, they don't feed you in, in those jails in the Philippines. You have to find your own food somehow. So you're hoping a visitor comes who loves you and brings you some food. So the scripture, you visited me when I was in prison. You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. Well, when I went in, here's what I tried to do. I said, I'm going to be the best inmate. Before I do anything, though, Jesus, you're coming with me. I'm taking you with me. I've learned this over the years being a missionary. I hope you learn it too in America. Take him first. Choose him. Before you think, oh, I can control this, I'll fix it. I'll first thing you do is you go, Jesus, you got a problem, go with me. That's what I would do. And I did. And he came with me. And then I tried to treat everybody equally the same. I tried to be humble, not to demand anything, not to complain, and to share. Whatever I could come up with, I was going to share. They have a caste system in the Philippines in prison. They probably have it here. It's probably most of the same area. The people who don't have any money or any friends or any visitors or anything like that, they, don't, they can't survive unless they get so. They work for the people who do have some, and it kind of filters on down. They hope they get some scraps. And I said, scraps? Man, I said, Karen, first time Karen came to visit me, I said, bring food. Tell her to bring food if you can get a message to her. And she brought food. I remember when she first came in, I just was so glad to see her. And, of course, she cried right away. If you see your husband in prison garb in a smelly prison with all these bars and all these guys and you know kind of what's going on, it's hard, you know. But she brought that food and I said, oh, thanks, babe. And we passed that food and I shared it with everybody. She brought enough. We fed 40 in our cell and 40 in another cell and all the guards as well. I want to get off to a good start. (laughs) Do you know, you feed a guy who's really hungry... And then when the fights come, suddenly that guy's got his back against yours helping you. Did you ever realize that? The scripture's pretty good about practical stuff like that. You do what it says and suddenly you got a friend. I tell you what. And then helping people who are in trouble, you don't get medical aid in there. So the sickness is spread. <laughs> Karen, she was fantastic. She said to me, we're sitting at the table and whenever there was visiting hours, if we didn't have lockdown or they actually had a couple of visiting hours, she would come down to the prison and visit me. And we would sit there and talk with each other for a long time. You know, she said, this is really embarrassing. She said, you know, Tom, this is actually good for our marriage, this one-on-one talking. <laughs> I said, great, I'll just get arrested as many times as I can so we can talk like this, you know. But we, we, we had to laugh sometimes. You have to keep your sense of humor. We tried because we did a lot of crying. There were some desperate moments. Prison is, to me, was long periods of boredom punctuated by short periods of terror and violence. And I survived it. But I was really ill. I had real high blood pressure. Um, I, I don't need to tell you all that awful stuff, but I was in bad shape. The toilet was just one thing at the end of the room with a little tap that water came out sometimes so you could clean up. And it was pretty bad. Everybody's sharing that. Um, the rice, I mean, the lice and the rats were big. It was a bad place. And I was not doing well. They were, my friend Toto, who came in with me, thankfully, we both got charged. He saved my life, really. He's been my friend for years. He saved my life a couple other times in the Philippine jungles. But he just was fantastic. And he'd, he would lift me up and get me to the bathroom. And then he'd lift me up, sit up so I could eat something because I was so sick. My blood pressure was two, over 200 and I was looking bad. Now, here's the fun thing. Here's how God does things. That's the bad news, okay? That's... And I consider that a little persecution, couldn't you? That's kind of a little bit of, you're unjustly charged and you're in this place. But God doesn't forget us. He's not sitting on his hands. 
I've learned over the years, he knows everything we're going through and he's gone through more himself. And we have to keep understanding that he knows what's going on and we still have to believe and have faith in him even when it's not going the way we like. And so I kept praying. And I said, Lord, take me home. I touch my body, make me well, but make me useful. And he did. I started reading my Bible. Even at six, I kept reading my Bible and guys actually were coming over and asking me, what was I reading? And as time went on, they wanted one themselves. So I told my visitors, and I had many visitors, hundreds of them came to visit me from different countries just to get a few hours with me at the prison. I thought it was fantastic encouragement. They brought Bibles in different dialects. We had 12 different nationalities in my cell block. And thankfully, I spoke a, a little bit of each one of those languages. So I could identify with them, talk to them, and then we could share a little bit. I'd give them a Bible in their language if they wanted it. I mean, goodness. It started to become a whole different idea in there for me. And pretty soon we had 16 in the Bible study. 11 men gave their life to Christ over the 22 days. Two guards gave their life to Christ. My lawyer came to Christ. My gosh, it was a revival. <laughs> and then I heard about all of you praying for me. Joe sent me texts. The only one I could get through to the whole time because there wasn't a good signal, but I could get texts through to Joe Coffey in Cleveland, Ohio. What, what's with that? To a thousand of them, 1,000 texts over 22 days. He's middle of the night when I couldn't sleep and I was scared. I'd tell him we're having a riot or a fight in here, and I'd, I'd get him, and he'd send me back verses, encourage me. He said, Tom, there's 4,000 people praying for you. Hang in there. I said, 4,000 people? I don't know 4,000 people. He said, You do now, and it grew to 65,000 people in 69 countries. They had a webpage, Save uh, Free Tom Randall. President Bush and people were making phone calls for me, congressmen. I don't deserve all that, nor am I privileged to it, but what a blessing. Sometimes when you serve the Lord and there's a bit of persecution, he's not ignoring it. And as that ministry grew, my heart got encouraged. The problem was I was not doing well health-wise. And here's what the Lord did. <laughs> we have a young guy, Argel Ramirez, and uh, he's our godson, Karen and I, and when he was a little, little boy, his mom and dad became friends of ours, and I played basketball against him. He was a very poor man. He, he just did a boat trip up the river. That's how he got paid, not very much money. So he was poor, couldn't afford education for the kids. He came to Christ. His wife came to Christ. So I said, listen, we'll help your kids with the education. That's something we can do. And then the kids came to Christ. And Argel was the brightest kid you've ever seen and sang like an angel. My gosh, could he sing. And he won all these singing contests, and he was always first in his class. So I said, listen, Argel, if you keep getting A's and you don't get any B's, I'll send you as far to college and whatever you want to do. He said, really? Godfather? I said, yes. So he got all A's. Who does that? You know? <laughs> so he comes to me. I said, okay. Where do you want to go to college? He said, thank you, sir. He said, Philippine University. University of Philippines. I said, oh, prestigious, expensive. I got 30 more, 31 more coming behind him. And I'm thinking, wow, we're going to lose it all on one kid here. And he says to me, how much it'll be? And I go, that's not very much per year. He says, yeah. I said, that's, I can afford that. He said, oh, I forgot to tell you, Godfather, I got the scholarship for everything else. Just food and lodging and stuff. He could have told me that before, you know. <laughs> but why take the fun out of faith? Faith is when you pray, you commit, and you do what you need to do till it gets done. 
Not you pray commit and God does it right now. That might be an American type Christianity, but that's not the realistic thing. Faith is when you trust God, no matter how long it takes. There's some things I might not get till eternity. I'm going to have to live with that. That's okay. Justice, yeah, I can wait. When I see what God does with injustice, I can wait. So our jail decides he's going to go to medical school. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Then he says, after medical school, he's top of his class. Everything paid for again. He said, uh, Godfather, I'm going to be a surgeon. That's another five years. The, they were so excited he's going to be a surgeon. He's been so good, they helped him with that. I just have to supplement his income. Here's the fun part. You ready for this? He's doing an operation at Philippine General Hospital in Manila. He takes out a gallbladder or something. He's got his team with him. He goes over, he's cleaning up, and there's the TV, and he sees his godfather being arrested on national TV. And I look terrible. And he went, my gosh, he looks terrible. That's my godfather. They said, he's in trouble. He said, he's not in trouble. He hadn't done anything. He said, where is that? I need to help him. And he was thinking, he'll go anywhere. And they said, you don't know where that is? He goes, no, where? He said, it's across the street, for goodness sake. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, you know? How could you not give glory and credit to God for that kind of arrangement? He knew 25 years earlier that he was, I was going to need him when I was dying in a jail cell in the Philippine Manila. How about that for arranging it? I'm sorry he had to run the 600 yards over to my cell. He ran over. He got into the cell block. He said, he's my godfather. I need to see him. By then, I'd made enough friendships. They said, okay, we'll let you see him for a couple minutes. He said, godfather, you look terrible. I said, well, thank you. It's good to see you too, you know? And he took my blood pressure 200 over something plus, and he said, Uncle Tom, you're going to die of a stroke if we don't get you to the hospital. I said, well, ask him. Well, they don't let you go to the hospital. You're a high-profile case. You can't go. So you know what he did? He ran back to the hospital, and he brought the hospital to me. That's only how God thinks. Never mind, I'll bring it all to you. So he put, um, what do you call it, medicines in me, gave me injections, gave me the IV. I'm walking around with an IV bottle. The prisoners started to like me, so they fixed up a wooden thing, and they would walk around because... They weren't tall enough, so they would do it like that, you know, to walk me up. It was hilarious. And I got well. And as I got well, I shared more. And as I shared more, more guys came to Christ and became interested. And we had a bit of a revival in that little cell. Because God not only knows when there's persecution, knows when there's trouble, he knows your problems. He's got answers. And he knows, and if those answers don't come right away, be patient. He's still there. That's the hard part. We are so impatient, aren't we, sometimes? I'm learning to be more patient. It says in Philippians 1.12. Yeah, Philippians 1.12, thank you. Listen to this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Awesome. Paul had the idea. There's a purpose for this, an eternal purpose. You might not see the earthly purpose, but it's there. God's doing things. Do you know all my kids? They put them in institutions all around the Philippines. They spread them out. I didn't know where they were, if I was ever going to get them back, if I could find them. We did eventually, but it took months. How would they feel? They didn't do anything either. You know what they did while they were there? 
They heard about what was happening to me in prison and about a little Bible study. So they started Bible studies in their institution. And my kids, and I, I say this with glory to God, not just for my own pride. They won 42 teenagers to Christ during their detainment. 42 souls to Christ. Yeah, isn't that great? So remember, we're praying for persecution for the people that are being persecuted. But you also pray for what comes out of the persecution. The Chinese church grew. I saw it because of persecution. Satan always loses this battle. He always loses. It starts out looking good for him, and then God turns it on him every time. We're doing well. In fact, I've never had the opportunity to share so much with people and have them be so responsive as since I got out of jail. It says in Psalms, I will enlarge you. I will enlarge your platform to share Christ. My kids, they're happy. The people that I share Christ with in prison, many of them have gone on to other either prisons or been free. Where do you think they'll go with the gospel? What is their experience? What is yours? I had a guy in Florida when I first came back. Am I out of time yet, Jay? Okay, you yell when I'm done. Um, got in the golf cart. Two NFL Super Bowl champions were trying, and they've become believers. We're trying to have a Bible study with elderly men, guys like my age and older, 16 and over, in Florida, retired guys. And they weren't having that much success, but they had about eight guys. But they invite 40, only six of them would come to the Bible study. He said, Tom, you're sitting with this guy. I said, what's his name? George McDuffin. I said, okay. I sat in there. I said, excuse me, sir, my name's Tom Randall. He said, I know who you are. I said, really? He said, yeah, you're the guy that was just in prison in the Philippines. This is like three weeks after I got out. I said, yeah, I was. He said, I got a question for you. I said, sure, George. He said, why in the world would you believe in a God that would send you or allow you to go to prison for 22 days and go through that hell? You know what I said? I said, your thinking's wrong. I said, it was a privilege for me to do what I did. I wouldn't aim to do that, but once it happened, it was a privilege because what I see God did, I said, I love him more now than I did before. I see his grace more now than I did before. Sometimes Tozer says, you got to hurt deeply before you can love God deeply. It, persecution is not all of it, as bad as sometimes we think if we use it for God. And I said, no, I think you got it wrong. I said, what do you believe? He said, me? I said, yeah, you asked me. What about you? And you could see all the guys going... <laughs> going to play golf, you know, getting out of there, tense, you know. I said, no, no, you asked me, it's my turn. He said, well, I'm a Methodist. And I said, that's your answer? You're a Methodist? He said, what do you mean? I said, I'd say I'm a Christ-following Methodist who has been blessed with a lot of resources, a really wealthy guy, wealthiest guy in this, one of the parts of the state. I said, yeah, that would sound better. You know, instead of getting mad, he asked more questions. On the 13th tee, he got down and gave his life to Christ. On the 13th tee, at a golf course in Florida, think, you know what I think? You know what I thought? I thought, this is happening because I went to jail in the Philippines. And every person I've led to Christ since I've got out has a connection because I went to jail in the Philippines. You keep praying for these people in these other countries, and I'll pray for you too. When you have your persecution, it'll come. You'll see it. But don't shy away from it. I'm finished. (laughs) God bless you. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you. Praise God.